3: The Tom Sumner Program is made possible with support from Seth David Radwell, a recent guest on the program and author of American Schism, How the Two Enlightenments Hold a Secret to Healing Our Nation, released in July 2021. American Schism provides a historical perspective that can help bridge current-day divides. American Schism by Seth David Radwell is available at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and wherever books are sold. For more information, go to americanschismbook.com.
2: Hi, this is Gretchen Whitmer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program.
0: It's time now for Armchair Politics Join host Tom Sumner for this weekly reality check on current events in local, state and national politics and the real issues that really matter. You too can be part of Armchair Politics. Find us on Facebook. We
1: let the dogs off their leash. Stay tuned, because it's on now.
3: Hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome to this week's edition of Armchair Politics, our weekly roundtable on the Tom Sumner program. Joining me for today's edition of Armchair Politics, our panel of political pundits includes roundtable regulars on the left, Flint's premier political pundit, Paul Rosicki. Good morning, Paul. Good morning. Good to be here. And on the right, longtime Genesee County Republican Henry Hatter. Henry, good morning to you as well. Good morning, Tom. And last but not least, making his uh, inaugural appearance uh, at the Roundtable, a uh, recent guest on the show. And um, he is uh, a former National Security Advisor and Counsel for the U.S. Senate Armed Services Committee, turned author of The Resurrection Saga and its most recent installment, Twilight of Empire, W.H. Carver, a.k.a. Bill. Bill, good morning and welcome to the show
6: morning, Tom, and uh, pleasure to be here.
3: I feel like we should have some kind of fanfare to play when it's your inaugural. Uh,
1: <laughs> uh, <laughs> good morning, good to have you here. Well, good morning, this is Henry Hatter, glad to have you.
6: Henry, it's a pleasure to, thank you.
3: And, and thank Bill... You. Bill S- or, since this is your first time, we're going to talk about some local things and then some state things as well as some national things a little later in the, in the two hours. But I always try and set up enough context that you may want to jump in or chime in. I've had some people uh, who aren't from Michigan say, well, you know, I'm not up on Flint or Michigan politics, but uh, generally speaking, feel free to jump in wherever you feel comfortable
6: no I, I certainly appreciate that, and uh, you have uh the experts right there that can tell you that um, <laughs> I, can look at these things more, I can I can look at these things more from a macro standpoint uh, because of the traveling schedules that I do and moving around the country uh, I can assure you that uh, the issues that that the community that your district that your state is dealing with is pretty much nationwide right now
3: yeah I, th- I think you're right and that's why I never really shy away from including those those local pieces bill but I always start with a few quotes and the first one is modeled after uh, flint-based comedian <laughs> Mark Bondo's facebook feature finish the joke and what I do is uh, set up a uh, Oh, often a well-known quote or uh, quote by a well-known person and ask how would you finish this quote. And here it is. Get your facts first, then you can... What? How would you finish this quote?
4: Uh, form your opinion or make up your mind? Or
1: expand or elaborate? <clears throat> or agree? Well, if because I... Once, go ahead, Bill. Because once... It's, what, because once
6: the issues are known; the solutions become obvious.
3: Now that sounds like it came right out of your book, Bill.
6: <laughs> but, uh,
3: but a good point. But the the original quote. If I told you who said it, you'd you'd guess it immediately. The original quote is: "Get your facts first, then you can distort them as you please." Oh. oh. And it comes from Mark Twain.
4: Oh, oh that's, yeah, that's my, my favorite. <laughs>
3: yeah. Well, here's, here's one that, that got a lot of attention this week. I am here today because I believe that Facebook's products harm children, stoke division, and weaken our democracy.
4: Oh, uh, the whistleblower. Um, yeah. What was her name again?
3: Frances Hogan, 37-year-old right, yeah. former Facebook product <clears throat> manager who worked on civic integrity issues at the company, faced questions in Congress from a commerce subcommittee about what Facebook-owned Instagram knew about its effects on young users, among other issues. Um, anyone... Care to speculate about the global Facebook five- to six-hour outage that happened almost concurrently with Hogan's whistleblower testimony? <laughs>
4: yeah, that was interesting, yeah. <laughs> it was, you know, they almost made me realize that actually we, we were able to live life before Facebook. <laughs> there was life outside of Facebook for those six hours. But do you uh, know, know how much... Good point. I think
6: that's a very a very good point to to the whole thing. I. I watched uh, probably about two hours of that uh, of her testimony. Uh, just and you could just tell right off the bat, this was her first time. Um, you know, in the major leagues of committee hearings, and she was just articulate. She just laid it out. She and and she laid it out in a very factual standpoint. And quite frankly, what she was telling us is that I think that all of us knew that nobody wanted to admit to and that um, basically I think this is the moment of the you know it's like in the mid-50s with the cigarette companies the tobacco companies they knew in the 1950s what they were doing and they just buried that research and let it go and um, I think that from that standpoint I think this is going to be a very healthy conversation what I'm hoping is that people will start paying attention to that, not only from a legislative standpoint, from a financial standpoint, but from actually looking at this from a sociological standpoint. What is this? What is this doing to our children? What is this doing to our society?
1: What, what amazes me most about this, the amount of courage that she had to have to walk on the stage all by herself with no support of any kind, don't know where the reactions are going to come from. Have no friends. She's on her own now and has decided to do this. And as you say, Bill, she was very articulate, and she knew what she was talking about.
4: You know, I, I found when, the, when that shutdown, <laughs> shutdown took place, once I realized what it was, I found it oddly refreshing. I mean, I find myself, frankly, wasting an awful lot of time on Facebook, and I'm guilty of that. <clears throat> but when it was down, I, th- I thought my computer had a problem at first, but when I realized it was something more than that, it was it was almost, uh, again, kind of an odd sort of relief not to have to mess with it for a few hours. Uh,
3: yeah, a couple of things. One, if I were to put on my foil hat, <laughs> I, I would suspect <laughs> that uh, Zuckerberg or some of his cohorts were uh, giving us a little taste of life without Facebook in uh, the wake be, of yeah. that testimony. Um but an interesting sidebar I got an email and I I don't know if I'm going to have a guy on the show yet or when um but an um internet analyst um I I got an email from an internet analyst who observed that during the Facebook shutdown visits to porn sites went up 270% <laughs>
1: Well,
4: you know, a lot of
6: people don't, a lot of people don't like to admit this, especially in the Internet business, but uh, actually the porn, the porn industry is the biggest, is the biggest revenue generator in the, uh, on the Internet.
3: Well, it certainly was when Facebook went down. (laughs) 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 Over 40% new users. I mean, it's, I found it, really I found
6: it, it, They had that picture in the news uh, uh, last night of here are these um, people. I'm not exactly sure what country they were in. Uh, it might have been India or Pakistan. I mean, they're sitting in the, these, these women uh, dressed in traditional Sarahs with uh, barefooted all on their iPhone saying, oh, we can't do business now because Facebook went down. And I'm hmm. kind of going, you know, and it, and it goes back to what Paul was just saying. You know, it's like, oh, jeez, what can we even remember life before before Facebook?
3: <laughs> I, I got an email from a uh, political campaign that um, that blamed Facebook's outage on a significant loss in campaign fundraising revenue, and sending out an urgent plea for donations to help. Pick up the slack oh and, and I'm not sure if their online fundraising was as tied to Facebook as they tried to make it sound but <laughs> it really I thought, it was, kind of, I thought yeah. it was kind of funny <laughs> they were using that as you know oh no, we lost a ton of money because Facebook was down.
6: Hmm.
3: which which only goes
6: to show that uh, the trolls know how to switch tracks real fast in this world.
4: That's true.
3: Yeah. Well, here's another one. I'm not sure if I can squeeze this in before the break or not, but I'm going to give it a shot. I've got another quote that got my attention. This is our moment to deliver on all of the promises that we made, but she is just absolutely standing in the way of that without making clear what she wants. Hmm. I I know you're not going to guess who this was. It's not somebody that we would all know. Uh, It was Emily Kirkland, who was the executive director of Progress Arizona. Kirkland, who uh, often spent 13-hour days campaigning for uh, cinema three years ago now feels incredibly frustrated with the senator's hesitation to go along with her party on a major 3.5 trillion dollar spending bill that democrats hope to pass to uh, enact a wide range of key liberal priorities cinema and west virginia senator joe manchin another centrist democrat have been two powerful figures at the center of negotiations, and they have both signaled they won't support a price tag of three point five trillion angering progressive members of their party in the process. What would Republicans do if this was happening on their side of the aisle? <laughs> hmm. <laughs> <All right.
1: laughs>
3: well, I thought I'd just flip it there,
4: yeah. <laughs> Yeah. I, I could,
6: I could only, I could, I could only, again, speak from a macro standpoint on it. But uh, if, if you really look at that, that seems to be more of somebody, somebody saying something like that. You know, Senator, you can agree with her or you could disagree with her, um, uh, as it, with Senator Manchin. But the fact of the matter is, is that they have very specific political goals and they have very specific ideas and thoughts about what they are trying to do. I know with Senator Manchin, he is he he is doing exactly what a senator is supposed to do for his constituency. I mean he's he's definitely worried about you know, contrary to some of the modern myths that are being passed around in in the country now, um, the West the, the, the West Virginia coal mine, uh, America was built on their backs, um, just as, you know, people up there in Michigan, uh, the, the this country, industrialization of this country was built on their backs. Now we're saying, oh, well, we don't want to use coal anymore. Well, that's fine. But what are those people supposed to do now? Oh, we're not going to use uh, industrial ma- uh, Industrialization anymore? Well, what about all those people? Wh- where where are we going to go with them? Well, you know. Hey, I- Bill,
3: I got hey. I've got to cut you off there, and uh, okay, we're going to take a short break, but we'll be back with more armchair politics right after this.
1: Everybody's doing a brand new dance now. Hi, this is Mark Farner, and
4: you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program.
0: Hi, this is Deb Cherry, Genesee County Treasurer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Radio Show.
3: And welcome back, everybody, as we continue armchair politics on the Tom Sumner program with our roundtable regulars, Paul Rosicki and Henry Hatter, joined today by uh, first-timer Bill Wisecarver. And uh, welcome back, everybody. Bill, uh, uh, sorry to cut you off and go to break there. It's usually Henry that gets cut off, uh, but uh, welcome, welcome back, all. And uh, Bill, do you want to you want to pick it up where we left off, or or you, is it okay to just go ahead and move on? Well,
6: I, the only the only point that I just wanted to make on that is that uh, these these people are looking at well, it's got to be three point five trillion, or it's got to be one point five trillion, uh, you know, and and when you really start looking at it. Uh, there's a lot of room here for really being able to get this done in a way that without without the political without the political hydropole that we're, that we're seeing right now and that it's just causing even more confusion in in the entire, in the entire process, you know, now they want to get rid of the filibuster. Now they want to do, you know, they they want to start changing the rules again. Well, that's how we've kind of got into this problem, by trying to change the rules for whatever party was, you know, whatever party's particular position was at any time. And that, and that was really my only position uh, or my only thought on it.
4: Yeah, I think one of the main goals somewhere here is to restore trust that the system can work at all. And I think in some ways that <laughs> – that some product has got to be produced out of this, whether it's 1.5 or 3.5 or somewhere in the middle, that, that, that the, the, the public expects some kind of results uh, yeah. rather than endless bickering.
1: But, but there are two <clears throat> issues on the table. One is the infrastructure building business, which all Americans agree with. The other includes frivolous spending, paying debts off, and paying for a hidden agenda items, the $3.5 million. That's why there's so much discussion about it. And I'm really glad to see some of the Democrats also uh, chime in on this issue so that we're not spending ourselves out of existence.
6: And, and Henry, that, that is a, a perfect point, and that is the point that the American people need to understand without all of these political Without all this political rhetoric going back and forth and, and partisan politics within within our government, um, your your point is I, I, I'm in total agreement with it, I guess. I mean, when you look at it, uh, you know, just as an example, uh, and, and it's a small example, and it's a generalization, but it kind of gives you an idea of what we're talking about when we start talking about these numbers. Um They want to put, uh, $450 billion into pre-K school. Okay, well that makes sense. I, I think that that's a really good idea. My, uh, you know, as a matter of fact, I have, I have a a niece who runs a Montessori pre, uh, pre-K school and, you know, wonderful what they do for the kids. And I think it's a, a great idea. But you say, well, you're going to put $450 million. Well, you know, it, it costs her approximately, you know, with the rent and salaries and everything that you have to buy as a business, it costs about $2,000 a student or about $1,500 a student. Well, okay, $1,500 school I, a student, I know that that's really a good thing. They want to put 450 billion in it. I mean, just divide that into $1,500 per student. And, and you know, you, what, what do you come up with? Uh, you know, to just make the math simple. Uh, you know, 300 million free, free school. Wait a minute. That doesn't make sense. And, <laughs> and
1: she, Good analogy.
6: she has a school, um, she, her school is in probably one of the richest zip codes in, in the country. Uh, it's in, uh, easily in the top five. Um, do those parents need to have free pre-K free school? I don't think so.
1: Mm-hmm.
6: And I think there's a lot of people. So means testing, yes. And then let's look at those numbers.
2: It's, and when you
6: say that, then you immediately are, are, are jumped on from the right is saying, oh, you want to waste money. And from the left, you're hearing, you're, you're, well, you just don't want to put any money in it. Well, wait a minute. That's not the question at all. We're just talking about an an economic issue.
4: Yeah, and the bottom line is you've got to produce results that mean something, not just throwing money at something. That's true. Absolutely. Absolutely.
3: Well, here's one of those local things that Mark uh, Everson always gets a kick out of whenever he joins us from Mississippi uh, (laughs) when we talk about the Flint City Council. They've uh, silenced their president for the next 30 days after censuring her for removing another council member from a previous meeting without allowing an appeal. Council President Kate Fields, who represents the city's fourth ward, can continue to vote as she serves her punishment, but will not be allowed to speak or chair meetings for the next month following the council's 5-2 to uh, to vote on uh, Tuesday, September 28th. Monday, September 27th, Fields had ruled that Mays was disrupting the council's virtual meeting and ordered his phone line to be silenced, shutting him out of commenting or voting. Fields, who was elected president last November and has been on the council since 2016, Called the debate over her censure a kangaroo court and the decision of her colleagues ludicrous, M Live the Flint Journal could not immediately reach Fields for further comment on Wednesday, September 29th. During her re-election campaign in 2017, Fields had said bringing professionalism back to city council meetings was among her top priorities. But the nine members have remained divided and have routinely launched into criticisms of each other during her term as president. Do you think Fields will retaliate, and how?
1: Well, you know, can I just say this? Yeah, go ahead. You know, usually I support Fields. I'm one of those uh, mavericks. But she made a terrible mistake there, and she made it uh, procedurally. She, by herself, cannot excoriate a board member, but that's the, up to the public. But what she should have done was appeal to the board and ask the board, which way should we resolve this matter? And then they would have accepted all responsibility and the public would have gone along with it. But but she, she took a risk there and she got... I just, you know, just shake
4: my head at the whole city council's behavior from week to week, I mean, <clears throat> this has just been part of such a long pattern where I think I've seen half a dozen of them have been censured within the last several years by one member or another, and certainly several have been kicked out. Eric Mays is particularly, but he's, I'm not sure he's alone in that in that category. So it's it's just the the, the chaos of uh, and disorganization of of the Flint City Council is showing here, and this is only one of the most recent example of it.
3: Well, I might add that um, I, I suspect that we're going to hear more about this story. Because last week, I had scheduled all of the candidates uh, running for Flint City Council in the November election in one-on-one interviews. It took three days 3 3-hour three shows to get all nine wards in and I had the incumbents and the newcomers and and even the unusually high number of write-in candidates. And um, Kate was scheduled for Thursday morning and I got an email from her or I guess maybe it was a well I can't remember if it was an email or a text message in any event she canceled her appearance on Thursday mm-hmm. morning show um citing that she might be considering legal action and shouldn't say anything. Oh that's interesting. And huh. and um so I you know, I wrote her back and asked if it was okay if I substitute substituted the interview I did with her during the primary and she said, Yeah, fine. So I did in fact have all of the candidates but there was a you know, a, a substitution there. In in Kate's case,
4: now I was going to say now that that censure wasn't meant to block her from from meeting with the with the press or the media, was it? It was just that was just for the council meetings, I presume.
3: Right, uh, and and I don't think um, yeah, I don't think she canceled because she okay. you know, was not allowed to speak. I, I I think it was more about you're not supposed to speak during pending litigation.
2: Yeah, uh, that I would see, have been right. another. But big but yeah. again,
3: that's that's. I might be reading something into what she said and how she phrased it, and so on. But, but I, I stand by my suspicion that we're going to hear more
4: <laughs> about uh, that. Sounds story. like you're right. Yeah, I have a hunch. Uh,
3: I, I could only
6: I could only look at something like this, and you know, here again, I don't know the issue, and you have the experts there, Tom, that that can tell you the inside story of that. But there again, from a macro standpoint. Why would this woman not? You know, if somebody said something she didn't like, or was doing something she didn't like. Why would she want? Why would she want to to censor that or stop that person from being able to talk to the community? And then at the same time, why would they go back and do that? I mean, what what is the issue here? that you know, there's a lot of people that say a lot of things, I see it on T V all the time, that I don't like, but I I have to look and say, well wait a minute, you know, I mean what what are they what is the message I'm trying to be told here? Well And I, I think just this to... whole idea of this cancel culture well if you're saying something I don't like or you have an opinion I don't agree with then I just want to set you up, and yeah, Bill, I don't really understand that on both
3: sides. Bill, for you, there's uh, there's some context missing because these city council meetings, um, the there are members, and and one in particular who's especially guilty of of being sort of uh, obstructive and disruptive, and and to the point where council meetings are lasting seven and eight hours running into the wee hours in the morning so there's there's been this ongoing sort of battle to you know to try to be civil and it's it's just not working and this is another example of that when you hear it by itself it sounds like people overreacting to something but this is the back and forth that goes on all the time and
6: and here is here's where i take the next step is then why isn't the entire council saying hey uh hey pal why don't you sit down (laughs) i mean i you know i mean maybe maybe henry that's that's you know that's got people all i mean that doesn't sound like that's (laughs) one personal person's Issue. Bill, I mean, that's... God that... only knows, I've been in those meetings when when you got some gas bag up there, you know, <laughs> raving for nine hours.
4: Well, ironically, it seems like that one person seems to actually encourage others to do somewhat similar things, not quite to the same degree. But uh, to, to, you see similar reactions, and that's why I say the meetings go on till 3 or 4 o'clock in the morning sometimes. But <laughs> and Bill,
3: that, that very point that you made has people in Flint and Genesee County scratching their heads yeah. all the time. Um, sure. Okay, uh, let me see if I can squeeze in a couple of more of these um, Former Genesee County Board of Commissioners Chairman Martin Cousineau says he's running for 48th District State House Representatives, a seat currently held by State Representative David Martin, a Republican from Davison. Cousineau's announcement says he has spent 30 years learning about government and navigating his way to see what he could do to bring people together to strengthen our economy, keep our businesses strong, and our neighbors safe a Clio native cousin served two terms on the county commission but was uh, defeated in 2020 by political newcomer uh, Meredith Davis a Republican from Flushing Township Martin is serving his first term in the state house he defeated Democrat Cheryl Kennedy to win the seat in 2020 is this seat likely to flip back to democrat again
4: Ah, that's a good question. I mean, what, if you take a look at the northern part of Genesee County, which used to be, you know, very Democratic, it's gone yes. Republican for, for presidential level and, and on the local level now for a couple of elections. So it, it may be a challenge.
1: Well, and then there's the mood in the country where the country that is changing with respect to politics and parties and stuff like that. You see the input of, of minorities, <clears throat> they are leaving the Democratic Party, and some are switching over to give more balance to the Republican Party. So there's a tremendous dynamic <clears throat> that's going on, and we don't know yet. And Cousineau is very, very well-respected and well-known in Coyle. Yeah. Uh, he's an, he's an, um, a podiatrist, I believe. He, he has a medical degree. I don't remember uh-huh. exactly what he does. But he is very well-known, and he's very well-spoken, and he is not a rowdy person. So he could have a chance there. I would leave it 50-50 right now.
4: And, Henry, you're right. He, He has won in that area for the county commission in the past, although he lost the last election around. What strikes me, though, is we're seeing much more of the rural and urban divide. and Of course, northern Genesee County is relatively rural. And as you as you say, it's gone a bit more Republican in recent years. So, I mean, but I think Kuzenko maybe is maybe the best candidate to to, to possibly win that. But uh, that that area used to be kind of solid for Democrats, and it's no longer a guarantee anymore.
3: I was surprised yeah. that last time around when uh, when Kennedy lost to Martin.
4: Yeah. Yeah.
3: Actually. Yeah. Well, yeah. let's let's move on. The third time was a charm for a Genesee County resident's recall language submitted against a local school board official. <clears throat> recall language filed against Davison School Board member Matthew Smith Jr. was approved by Genesee County Election Commission in Judge Jenny Barkey's courtroom Monday. This was the third time a recall was filed against Smith. The first two recalls were rejected for not being clear and factual according to the Election Commission. The recall will be appealed, Smith told M live the Flint Journal. Smith will have 10 days to file an appeal and the court will have 40 days to determine whether the reason for the appeal is clear and factual. The recall petition will not be valid for circulation until the court's determination or 40 days have passed. Recall sponsor, Janessa Phillips, can then begin circulating and collecting signatures which are valid for 60 days. The recall language reads, the state of Michigan has charged Matthew Michael Smith with malicious use of telecommunications services. And, uh, of course, this goes back to a a charge made uh, that he uh, used his phone to threaten the life of, some state representative or uh, council person up in the uh, Upper Peninsula yeah, or Northern right. Michigan, in any event, and um, but but the question I have is, how serious is this recall effort if it took three times to get it right?
4: <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I, I when I saw the stories, I, I didn't see what these the stories didn't say what the errors were, but but you're right. It seemed like it was. Uh, Kind of a quick seat-of-the-pants judgment to kind of throw the recall out there and see what happened.
1: Well, well most candidates would have to go through one, one failure, at least, That's it appears to be typical. But Matthew Smith is a very determined young man that's hard to stop. He knows how to influence people. He's a great spokesman. He's well-dressed, well-preserved, and comes from a, a, a very successful family.
4: And he's had a number of boards and commissions around, yeah. around the, the area. Well, it's going and, be difficult. Even,
3: and even with these uh, state charges pending, was elected uh, chairman of uh, the Genesee County uh, GOP.
4: Right, right. So, yes. t- frankly, I-, I wonder, if you know, assuming the recall does go ahead, I mean, uh, I, w- I wonder, doesn't he have a decent chance of surviving it? And what strikes me is that sometimes when people survive a recall, they come out a bit stronger. I'm thinking of uh, Karen Weaver here as mayor of Flint when she faced a recall and she survived it. And I think in the years that followed, she was probably had a little bit more clout because she did survive the recall. So I, it, it may, it's assuming he, if he does survive it, and that that's a big if. Uh, well, get, it, it may Gavin. Actually
3: You know, California Governor Gavin Newsom is the poster boy for that.
4: That's right. That's right. Yeah, yeah.
1: But then uh, our new mayor of Flint had a much bigger wheel that he was rolling because he had the the governor's support. Uh, He had been named uh, possibly the vice governor. Well, Sheldon didn't run during the recall, did he? I know. No, no, he he didn't. That was afterwards. But he ran against Karen and he, yeah, he that, yeah. won handily. Oh,
3: okay, I, I understand, Henry. You're, yeah. you're making the point that, that while yeah. Karen came out of the recall stronger, it wasn't strong enough to be yeah. childish yeah, yeah. in the a, next regular That's election. only
1: relative. You know, yeah. like Einstein's theory, things are relative.
4: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think it was the water <laughs> crisis that was gonna hurt any incumbent. That's what probably hurt Karen Weaver more than anything else, uh, just because she was there. But I was struck by the fact that having survived the recall very handily, she was, uh, like I say, in some ways in, in a better position after the recall than she was beforehand.
1: Yeah, was she was all time. over the country with the. With the- New yeah. president, everything. I, I'm
3: glad you. Um, I'm glad you mentioned uh, Albert Einstein. I just did an interview earlier this week with a guy who has written a book. Do you remember when Steve Allen got all the great minds uh, together for a public television oh, roundtable? Yeah, remember that? Yeah. Well, sure. a guy has written a novel that does essentially that same thing. Um, it takes Einstein and Stephen Hawking and. Uh, uh, da Vinci and a number of others and um, in in Socratic conversations about reality and mm. and to what degree it's perceived it's it, it though the whole thing is is kind of out there but it's it's fascinating and it all stems from Einstein's comments about um, reality and uh, relativity
1: mm. but see there are two fields of thought that there was a Socratic method that was based on the world as seen by Socrates and all Demosthenes and all of those great, including mathematicians. Uh, But they didn't get it exactly right because they didn't follow the natural law. Along comes the Reformation and people who brought about the new change were members of the clergy. They are the ones that turned scientists and completely flipped the world according to Socrates. Well,
3: well and, the, just, to, uh, just to clarify, um, when, when some people talk about the Socratic method, they're talking more about form than substance, Henry. It's not so yeah. much what he said but the way right. he said it that, and and that's that
4: back what, and forth exchange of ideas when
3: i made that reference to socrates that's that's what i meant and and what was meant uh in
1: the, the book. only thing here's the caveat though the only thing that people respect now is something new you know uh, when when the reformation came out people distrusted everything and then they begin to look at nature and they observe nature and then What they observed, they did equations to it and stuff. They began to explain reality through mathematics and and new thoughts and and, uh, uh, deduction. No, induction, because the Socratic method was basically more deductive than it was Mm -hmm. inductive. Mm -hmm. And and now you take a look at our kids in our own generation. Our kids don't even believe us. You say something about reality, you say, "Oh, that's just your thought." I
3: try to remind myself that I didn't believe my parents either. No, uh, yeah,
1: yeah, we
4: all but, we all went through that, but. Yeah. We have to we have so, to
3: take a break here but we are going to move yeah. on to uh Lansing and Washington there's some real interesting stuff in the news this week and uh and of course we have our roundtable regulars Paul Rosicki and Henry Hatter. they're joined by W.H. Wise Carver and and uh, we'll have all three Back with us uh, after we let our broadcast partners at 92.1 LPFM Flint squeeze in a few words or do whatever they do when we go to break. If you're streaming us at TomSumnerProgram.com, we have some messages as well. So don't touch that dial. Don't click that mouse. There's more armchair politics on the Tom Sumner program straight ahead. Hell, Michigan, that is, and you're invited. On October 27th, Wednesday before Halloween, Armchair Politics will be broadcasting live from 9 a.m. to noon from the Hell Saloon in Hell, Michigan near Pinkney. This will be our first in-person meeting of the Tom Sumner Program's weekly roundtable armchair politics since the beginning of the pandemic. Join me and roundtable regulars Flint's premier political pundit Paul Rosicki on the left and longtime Genesee County Republican Henry Hatter on the right, plus more on Wednesday, October 27th, 2021, starting at 9 a.m. at the Hell Saloon. Armchair politics is going to hell, and you can too.
6: This is U.S. Senator Gary Peters, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program.
3: Welcome back, everybody, as we continue armchair politics on this Wednesday edition of the Tom Sumner Program, featuring our roundtable regulars, Paul Rosicki and Henry Hatter, joined by author Bill Carver for our roundtable discussion Several local Michigan health departments scrambled Thursday trying to decide whether to rescind school mask mandates and COVID-19 quarantine rules for fear they could lose state funding because of language in the newly approved state budget and at least two of Michigan's largest cities will still pursue COVID-19 vaccine and testing policies despite separate budget language that appears to ban vaccine mandates and passports. These decisions are part of the uh, broader fallout and confusion stemming from several passages tucked away in the more than 1,000-page, nearly $70 billion budget Governor Gretchen Whitmer signed last Wednesday. Though Whitmer has said the legislative language that strips state funding from local health departments with school mask mandates is unconstitutional, Norm Hess, executive director of the Michigan Association for Local Public Health, said some local leaders are not convinced. Who wins in this battle?
1: <laughs> the governor is going
4: to win in the last analysis. If you can believe that. But well, I think the, court, the, the, the courts are going to resolve some of this in the end. It's, I think I can see court challenges all over the place here. Yeah. You
1: know? But she has the hands on the purse string, the deepest purse. And when school districts begin to lose money and teachers and parents get mad, they'll take the places apart. You know, you don't, you don't want to lock, lock out kids from schools. But but I, I can see
4: the, the I can see the quandary for school boards where you know they may want the mandates but they're afraid if they if they don't yes. if they if they keep them, they're going to lose you know state funding that's yes. a terrible dilemma for school boards and other you know, I mean, county commissions to be in. Yeah. That's
1: the worst. That's one of the worst things that can happen to society is to defund schools.
4: Yeah. No, I did and like I said, and school boards aren't, you know, aren't pandemic experts or medical experts, so no. it's a tough choice for them to have to make. And uh, I would think, well, it, policy it wise, is, it'd be a lot wiser for the, st- the governor to have a, either a statewide mandate or not have one, but make it make it a a, a standard policy rather than dumping yeah. it on the on the individual local governments. Yes.
3: Well, and it should be. I, I mean, it's it's a little bit distasteful that. There's a discussion being held about what to do with regard to public health and safety, and money is a factor.
4: Yeah, yeah. Especially,
1: well, you know,
3: at, especially at the county level and at the school board level.
1: Money rules in the last analysis. <clears throat> the person that will not benefit by the money is going to be the loser.
4: Yeah. I mean, so if local like, districts lose money, they're going to be hurt very badly. And I can see why they're afraid, because they're, they they can't afford to lose that kind of state funding. But
1: people don't trust schools. They don't trust school boards. They don't trust government. And then we're going to compound the <laughs> issue by <laughs> defunding these organizations. What a disaster.
4: And my understanding is that this, this particular phrase was some kind of standard boilerplate language that appears in all kinds of laws. And it's it, it, it just, you know, the kind of stuff they pull off the shelf to, to pass the budget every year, but somehow it takes on a different meaning in this context. At least that's one version I heard along the way.
0: <clears throat>
4: uh,
0: but, and, and, excuse me. Go I, ahead, I Del. Would,
4: yeah, I'd just
6: be interested in, in you know, uh, Paul and Henry's idea. What what do the people think about this? I, 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 I have a very hard time uh, understanding the politics of this whole mask thing. I'm, you know, when I was uh, in the Marine Corps, I mean, I was in the middle of the MERS epidemic in, in, in Kuwait and Iraq. I was, I've been in I've been a cholera epidemic and two hepatitis epidemics in Asia, uh, you know, living there at the time. And, geez, you know, you put on a mask or, you know, you're sick, put on a mask. Yeah, I, I, I don't understand the political side of this, and, and you know, yeah. I'd really like to hear Paul and Henry's, you know, the idea of, you know, kind of, how do the people feel about this, and why is this such an issue?
1: Yeah.
4: Go, go ahead, Henry.
1: May I, Paul? Well, I think the first thing is that we live in a democracy, and we have choices, and, and people use that to the nth degree choices. <clears throat> and about fifty percent of the people are on one side of the issue and the other side. So it's difficult to get any kind of consensus right there. And people are sharply divided. It takes something democracies this is a difficult issue for democracy to handle. If we were much more autocratic we could do things.
4: Uh, but well you know I think such in such a polarized time where everything around the pandemic has become a partisan issue. You know, what strikes me is that, I mean, I don't recall the same kind of partisan division over the, the the polio vaccine when that first came out. I mean, kids are required to get a variety of other vaccines to go to school. And I I don't recall any protests or complaints of any significant amount about, uh, you know, the, the kind of vaccinations kids get when they go to school for the last 50 years. But all of a sudden now, every single thing about the about the pandemic has become a partisan issue, whether it's masks or getting a shot or uh, mandates and so forth. Um, it's very unfortunate. Very unfortunate.
1: And people were afraid of the iron lung. the they oh, exactly. Yeah, I recall pictures uh, of those as a kid. Hot valley stove that people lay down in and t- to breathe. And stuff like that, that and and people dying of polio and stuff like that back in the fifties. Well, yeah,
3: the song, the song, polio vaccine. I remember being given that vaccine. I do too. In Same school, here. and yeah, and I, that process nationwide, it ended up leading to um, the creation of the of the song in the the Mary Poppins uh, Disney movie, um, "Spoonful of Sugar."
4: Oh, that's right. Makes oh, the yeah. medicine go yeah. down.
3: It, it, um, that that was actually spurred by the use of the sugar cube in, in giving out the salt vaccine.
4: Yeah.
6: It, it's very interesting that it, it is a health issue and one can look at this from from, well, I'm healthy and I don't need this vaccine. I don't need to wear a mask or I'm Healthy and I think I should have the vaccine and I need to have the mask. And yet this has turned into a political argument that somehow, you know, you're defending American freedom over something about, well, geez, you know, should I should I uh, uh, drive a car with seatbelts or without it? And, you know, yeah,
1: they, yeah. Uh, well, Republicans typically don't wear masks. They go everywhere and <laughs> I go to a meeting. They say, "Take your mask off."
4: Oh, I'll okay, it's sure. just become a partisan issue. <laughs> you know, I, I was going to ask. It's hey, been like maybe, that maybe since you they ask.
3: started asking at the grocery store if you wanted
1: paper or plastic.
4: That's right. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
1: And and other people see people surviving that don't wear masks. They say, "Well, you know, that creates more doubt about mm-hmm. the situation that we're we're facing." So there's a lot not known yet about COVID that we need to know. We need to be able to find out how it's transmitted because it's in the air all the time. And some of us catch it and some of us don't. We, we have not been able to demonstrate how the process, a cough, we know that it can be atomized and go mm-hmm. into the air and you breathe it. I- but everybody doesn't get it. I want to try and squeeze Uh,
3: one more in before we go to the top of the hour uh, show ID break. Um, And we just have about two and a half (laughs) minutes, but I'll see if I can squeeze this in real quick. As deadlines loom and public interest in the process grows, Michigan's redistricting commission is trimming back its original public hearing schedule and limiting public comment length in an effort to carve out more time to tweak maps. The 13-member panel had previously agreed to a schedule of nine hearings to tour the state with a set of draft maps for the public to consider and weigh in on, but this week the commission opted to scale back that schedule to five, the minimum number required by the constitutional amendment that created it. Did the delays and interruptions caused by the pandemic put off fair and effective new district maps until after the next census in 10 years?
1: Hmm.
4: It this delayed it. And I think, frankly, even if they cut back on the hearings, that's probably not a dramatic step back because I don't recall there were ever hearings in earlier years when we did this kind of thing. Very often the legislature put together a map and said, here it is.
3: But are the maps going to be hurried this time and maybe not as fair as they might be Hmm. in 10 years?
1: I don't know. And, you know, the way I look at that is that no matter what they do, they can do something and change things or they can leave it alone and nobody will know the difference. We will learn to adapt, whatever the condition is. We're fighting this thing. We're tearing ourselves to pieces over something that's a moot argument. Well, I mean, I would, I would totally agree
6: with, I would totally agree with Henry's uh, point. <laughs> Quite frankly, one of the most detrimental uh, uh, detrimental things that has happened to our political process, and, and here again nationwide, is is this whole the way that they've turned gerrymandering into some type of a, a, a permanent voting block for certain people or certain certain groups or certain political mm-hmm. parties it's it's a very it's it's so dangerous it's and, and i i think you know if you really look over the past uh, you know i would say over the past 30 years uh of our political process and i think uh, you can really point finger at the gerrymandering that has been going on over the last 30 years. And we're going to we're going to, to have to do
3: break. a little gerrymandering of our own here as we uh, transfer to the second half of armchair politics right after this short break.
4: Hi, I'm Alexander Zanjic. Don't touch that dial. You're listening to Tom Sumner.